Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we continued our exploration of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's closing statement in the trial as she argued for how her team has proven each of the charges against the defendants beyond a reasonable doubt. In this episode, we conclude our coverage of the prosecutor's closing statement with her argument to the jury for how they should regard the defense arguments in the case. We will begin that presentation right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's PowerPoint-driven closing statement to the jury concludes with her anticipating the defense's closing. She puts a blue card with white letters up on the courtroom TV screen that defines George's law on self-defense. It reads, A person is justified in threatening or using force against another person when and to the extent that he reasonably believes that such threat or force is necessary to defend himself or a third person against the other's imminent use of unlawful force. After reading the law, Dunikowski begins to break all of that down for the jury. Travis McMichael had to reasonably believe that it was absolutely necessary to defend himself and of course he threw in his dad, okay, which he never mentioned before at any point in time, but he threw him in on the stand, against the other's imminent use of unlawful force. That means Mr. Arbery had to be right there imminently using unlawful force against Travis McMichael. So we got pointing a shotgun at Mr. Arbery when he's yards and yards away, had to be reasonable and necessary. Dunikowski puts up a card that is entitled The Doctrine of Reasonable Beliefs, explaining that this means that a reasonable person would also believe that the threat or use of force is necessary, and that it is that reasonable belief that prompts the person to threaten or use force. Next, she adds a card asserting that even if Travis McMichael's belief in the necessity of the threat or use of force was reasonable, there was no imminent use of unlawful force by Mr. Arbery. Dunikowski continues. But where's the imminent use of unlawful force by Mr. Arbery? What was he doing? He's running away from Mr. Bryan's truck. Mr. Bryan has already tried to hit him with the truck numerous times. He's trapped between two cars with no weapon, no way for anyone to help him, because there's nobody out there to help him. He's not threatening anybody. He's just running away from the man with the shotgun. 
Dunikowski uses a still image from William Roddy Bryan's cell phone video that shows an unarmed Ahmad Arbery with his back to the camera jogging towards the McMichaels truck, which looks to be about 10 to 15 yards away from Mr. Arbery. Greg McMichael stands in the bed of the truck. Travis McMichael stands just outside the open driver's side door, pointing his shotgun at the approaching Mr. Arbery. Dunikowski guides the juror's consideration of the photo. Look at this. I mean, take a look at this. He's not even up to those mailboxes on the side. And that's Travis McMichael pulling that shotgun up. Well, what are they going to tell you? They're going to they're tell you what Travis said. Oh, he's running toward me. And I could tell he was going to attack me. Is that reasonable? Who brought the shotgun to the party? Who took the shotgun out of the car? Who pointed the shotgun? The guy's running, running away from them for five minutes. Dunikowski's next card says, quote, you can't be the one to create the danger yourself, such as when you've been pointing a shotgun at an unarmed person for several seconds as they run away from you and you track them, then close the distance on them and intercept them. The card ends with the question, who created the situation? Dunikowski expands on this. Here's the thing, you cannot create the danger to yourself. That means you cannot be the initial unjustified aggressor. You can't create the situation and then go, I was defending myself. You just can't do it. Dunikowski next shows two side-by-side slides from Brian's video that show that as Travis McMichael is moving around the front of his pickup truck, he is advancing on Mr. Arbery. He moved to intercept. He attacked him. I'm not talking about Mr. Arbery attacking Travis. Dunikowski's next card spells out the idea of excessive force. All right, here's the concept of excessive force. And this is a big one, because here's the thing. If you use excessive force during your self-defense, guess what? You're not justified. You're guilty. Because it's force that exceeded what was reasonably necessary. You guys ever heard the term that's saying, Uh, You can't bring a gun to a knife fight. It's unfair, right? You can't bring a gun to a fist fight. It's unfair, right? You can't use excessive force. You can't call someone out and go, hey, buddy, let's take it outside. You're starting it. And then when that person starts to beat you up and is better at the fight than you, you don't get to pull out a gun and shoot them. You started it. You called them out. They're better at this than you. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm scared. I have to defend myself. That's not the way this works. Excessive force. The next card applies this excessive force concept to the situation in this case. So first off, Ahmad had to be using unlawful force against them. Remember the guy running down the street right here? He's using excessive force. He's using unlawful force against them right here, right? Then Travis McMichael had to reasonably believe that he had to defend himself against Mr. Arbery. The amount of force has to be reasonable. Unarmed man running with hands at the sides, never pulled out a weapon, never threatened anybody. This is completely excessive force. Even if you think, even if you go, hey, it was citizen's arrest. Hey, he was really defending himself. You then still have to go, this wasn't excessive force in order to find them not guilty. 
The prosecutor's next set of cards are clearly intended to box in the defense team in their arguments. Dunikowski lays out the limits on the assertion of the claim of self-defense, urging the jurors to look at who was the aggressor, who committed the felonies, and who actually provoked who into defending themselves. What you didn't hear from the defense in their opening statement are the three instances when a person can't claim self-defense under the law in Georgia. Can't be the initial unjustified aggressor. This is important. You can't start it with your driveway decision, unjustified, because you didn't see a crime committed that day, and then claim, oh, I acted in self-defense. What's their justification? What are you going to hear? We wanted Ahmaud Arbery to stop and talk to us, and he wouldn't. So we tried to force him to stop, and then we killed him. You can't commit felonies against someone and then claim self-defense. I'm just going to ask you, use your common sense and put your thinking caps on. But this is what I anticipate, what we anticipate they're going to say. The victim started it, or you're going to hear that he was the aggressor, okay, because he was running towards Travis McMichael, but he was running away from Mr. Bryan, who'd already tried to hit him with a pickup truck. And Greg McMichael said it. He was trapped like a rat. He knew there was nowhere else to go. You're going to hear we weren't committing felonies. We were doing a citizen's arrest. We weren't trying to provoke him into defending himself. You're probably going to hear this. Yes, we pointed a shotgun at him to get him to comply with our orders. Not sure why anyone should comply with their orders. To stop and talk to us, but there was no reason for him to defend himself against us. Because this was a citizen's arrest. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dunikowski begins to wrap up her closing by highlighting the central points of her argument. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the bottom line. As I said in opening, I'm going to say it to you again. This was an attack on a mall robbery. They committed the crimes. They committed the four felonies. They attacked him. They shot and killed him. They can't claim self-defense under the law because they were the initial unjustified aggressors, and they started this. And they were committing the felonies against Ahmaud Arbery. They have to somehow justify their actions by claiming citizen's arrest. I'm going to remind you once again, evidence from the witness stand, they never, ever said on February 23rd, 2020, that they were doing a citizen's arrest or trying to arrest him. It was all, we wanted to stop, we wanted to question him about what he was doing because he must have committed a crime that day and we were going to hold him so the police could go back and figure out what crime it was that he must have committed because he was running down the street. The prosecutor then uses Judge Timothy Walmsley's ruling on the elements necessary for a lawful citizen's arrest claim, further boxing in the defense team. Citizen's arrest. The offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. If the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping, a private person may arrest him. So what are they going to do? They're going to do this. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you this. A private person may not act on the unsupported statements of others alone for their probable cause. What does that mean? No gossip. No hearsay. Nothing along those lines. In other words, my mom told me about this, where she has no personal knowledge of it, doesn't count. That's unsupported, unreliable statements of somebody else. You have to have more than stale information from an unreliable source. A private citizen's warrantless arrest must occur immediately after the offense, or in the case of felonies, during the escape. If the observer fails to make the arrest immediately after the commission of the offense or during escape in the case, his power to do so is extinguished. Right, what does that really mean? A citizen's arrest is for emergency situations when the crime really happens right in front of you and you can take action right then and there to arrest somebody because you know about it. You've seen it. You're taking action right then and there. If it's a felony, you can run after the person and chase them down. That's all this means. So it's not a citizen's arrest. They never said it. None of the defendants saw Mr. Arbery commit any crime that day. Having laid out for the jury how they will be instructed to interpret the law on citizen's arrest, the prosecutor ends her closing by anticipating the flaws in the defense team's arguments. They were detaining him for the police so that they could investigate and find the crime that he must have committed that day because what is he? He's running down the street. That's not the law, ladies and gentlemen. Not the law at all. Travis McMichael, remember all his assumptions? He got up here and I wrote them all down. He may have run by. Matt Albenzi may have seen him. He may have broken in. Maybe the owner's down there. He may have been caught. He may be trying to avoid the police. That's testimony from the witness stand. He didn't know anything. Absolutely nothing. This is where we're going to end up. Travis McMichael had probable cause to believe that Ahmad stole the stuff off the English boat in 2019 because his mother gave him some gossip about stuff being stolen, and he was escaping. Use your common sense. How do you escape from a crime on an unknown date in 2019 on February 23rd, 2020? I'm sure they'll explain it to you. But use your common sense. And remember, what do you think? You think all this was completely made up for trial? Especially given no one ever said it on February 23rd, 2020? Ladies and gentlemen, use your common sense. Put your critical thinking caps on. It's all the state can ask you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the defense. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we begin our examination of the defense team's closing arguments. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the killing of Ahmad Arbery.